From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes! And we are back for another edition of the Michigan Basketball Insider. This is sort of filling the basketball gap for me, and I'm sure it is for a lot of you out there. Michigan on pause right now. Uh, just really missing the guys, missing the team, missing the run that they're on. But you will never miss us. We are scheduled to be here. So Tim McCormick and I are back for another edition of the Michigan Basketball Insider. Tim, one of the all-time greats here at the University of Michigan, standout basketball player, first-round draft pick, NBA veteran, got into the broadcast business after that, has been shining there ever since, whether it's analysis on Pistons broadcast on Fox Sports Detroit or a, uh, a color commentator when it comes to college basketball, wears a lot of hats. But, the you know, the one that I like to tout the most is he's my guy. He's my friend. Tim, how are you? I'm good, Sam, but I need your help in a big way. I'm I'm having a little Michigan basketball withdrawal. I, I need an infusion. It's been, what, 12 or 13 days. I need to talk some M hoops right now. And, and, and I am so hopeful that the team can get back in the gym um, very soon. I'm I'm a little bit um, disappointed. There hasn't been more transparency about the the whole process. Mm-hmm. You know, how is the variant strain affecting the other programs at Michigan, um, and and has it spread? I wish I I knew because we're all just curious for sure. But um, it it can't be good for the players to not be in the gym, and and that worries me a little bit. Yeah, you know, it's this is one of those tough deals where it does require. Faith in leadership, you know, faith is uh, trust that you have in the absence of of information or proof. Right. And it's hard to keep that when when it's you know, when it's challenging in the way that it is challenging something that these guys have put a lot of time and effort and energy into a lot on the line as far as their their, you know, their season goals are concerned. Uh, You know, got to believe that the the science is guiding them and you look at it, Tim. Uh, you know, I, I really don't think it's about necessarily the the fear and concern for student athletes as much as it is, uh, you know, for maybe others that are in their midst. I mean, if they were 17 eight, or 18 to 22 year olds being coached by 18 to 22 two year olds. Right. I think maybe they would just be out there already. Uh, I, you know, I don't know. I just I think and hope that with the end of this original two week time frame that was set. I hope that they have enough information that will allow the, you know, the teams and we're talking Michigan basketball here. So the Michigan basketball team to get back on the court and pick up where they left off, which leads me to the question, Tim, assuming that they do, that they can get back on the court, at the end of that two week time frame. Why should we be optimistic that they, that they pick up right where they left off when they went into the pause? Wow. Okay. Let me ramble on because I I think there's a lot of reasons for optimism. Uh, The last time we saw Michigan, they played an A-plus game on the road in the toughest venue in the Big Ten versus a top-five team in the Big Ten. They dominated and blew out Purdue by 17. And so so I did some thinking about the positives, okay? And and here's why I think we have hope. First of all, we've got really good players. They have the best trio of stars in the Big Ten, Livers, and 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 Franz and Dickinson, they're pros and and they're leaders. Also, think about this: who has the best seniors in the Big Ten? And I, I don't think it's even close. Think about the fact that Isaiah Livers and Eli 
and and Brown and Austin Davis and Mike Smith, they're all seniors. Brandon Johns is a junior. So they've been through a lot and, and they know how to handle their business. I think that that's going to make a huge difference. Also, I know that the Michigan's players can't be in the facilities right now, right? They, they can't be on the court shooting, which is a huge disadvantage. But the one positive is you know that Michigan's players this summer, they were in the gym somewhere. You, you can tell by the way they came back better. And, and so Michigan's players, trust me, they're in the gym somewhere. And, and they're trying to stay in shape. I know that John Sanderson and their staff dropped off workout equipment and exercise bikes and all kinds of devices to keep the guys motivated in shape in their home. Um, think about, I, I've got an image of Isaiah Livers playing the role of Rocky Balboa, running through the streets <laughs> of Philly, punching a side of beef, I, whatever it takes. I think Michigan's players are going to work really, really hard. And then a couple of other things. Sam, I've been watching some of the other teams that have dealt with quarantine situations, like Villanova. They had seven games postponed or canceled. They did not play from December 23rd to January 19th. They won three straight. They're playing really well. Penn State, they had an immediate struggle, but they've won three of their last four. Florida State, they had five games postponed. They've won five of six. So if you've got good players, you can make this happen. And then also, Michigan's got the best coaching staff in college basketball. And I, I, I can't even hesitate one second in saying that. Juwan Howard is elite, and he's going to get them ready. But think about this. Saudi and Howard Isley and Phil Martelli, neither one of us would be at all surprised if any of those three has a head coaching job somewhere else next year. I, I'm not saying they're leaving, mm -hmm. but I do know this. They are some of the most respected in, in all of college coaching. I don't know if there's going to be a ton of openings because of the pandemic and budget ramifications, but Michigan's coaches are highly coveted. And, and, and then the other thing you might say, well, Michigan state has really struggled, right? They were quarantined, but their players had a lot of positive tests from what I've read and what I've heard and what I've seen. And Michigan's players have been very, very healthy. I think that is vitally important. Yeah, and also, I mean, you look at where Michigan was heading into its pause versus where Michigan State was heading into theirs, and they were a team that was was struggling. I think they had lost four of six. They had gotten blown out a couple of times. One of their victories, I believe, was over Nebraska. So that wasn't even a game where you're like, you know, it wasn't even impressive. I just I look at them, and they have holes. They have deficiencies that I just don't think there are solutions for in season. Maybe on the roster, but – maybe not ready to fill the roles that they're being asked to fill this year. Michigan, on the other hand, Tim, I mean, look, every every test, every bit of adversity that they faced this year, they've had an answer. And that's the thing that I, I marvel at. Uh, you, you have leadership across the board, whether it's Isaiah Livers or Eli Brooks. Uh, you know, you got a couple of veterans coming from, uh, coming from situations where they didn't win and Shondi Brown and, and Mike Smith, so you have the hunger there. All the things that we talked about before, and they were playing well. I, I We went over this last week. They, their last five victories were by, by an average of 21 points. The two victories before that were by 11 points. They played one single-digit game in Big Ten play. That is not a team that I think we should compare to Michigan State. I know you aren't, Tim, but I know a lot of fans 
All right, they say, oh, man, look at what happened to Michigan State coming off that pause. No, look at what was happening to Michigan State heading into the pause. And I think that, mm-hmm. I think, accurately colors what's happening to them as they came out of it. Yeah, and I mentioned earlier, Michigan's got seniors. And what comes with being upperclassmen is something called adversity management. And let me share a real quick story. My sophomore year, I had two knee surgeries, one on my left in June and one on my right in August. And I missed 16 months, one six months. And I, I, I was depressed and I felt isolated. And I believed that so many people um, that I thought were friends and supporters abandoned me. Um, it was the most challenging year of my life. And, and my, a lot of my self-worth was based on being a basketball player. I didn't handle it well. I was young. I lacked coping skills. But looking back on my basketball career, that experience helped me grow and manage adversity and learn how to work harder and be a better teammate. And it wasn't about my success, but more about the team. I developed empathy for teammates that were injured. And and most important, I became aware of how fortunate I was to have a scholarship to be on a team like Michigan and and go to a world-class university. So I make that that parallel that, that from that experience, I grew up and became a man. And I think that Michigan's basketball team, with what they went through this summer with the pandemic and being away from it, you know, Eli and 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 um, Isaiah and Shondi and Mike Smith and Austin Davis, those guys are seniors and they're world class leaders, and that's why I feel really good about them managing this this takeaway right now. And I do think rather than coming back and being frustrated or down, I think that they've got a chance to reach a whole different level we haven't even seen yet. Wow, uh, exciting, Tim. Uh, and exciting segue, because you just mentioned overcoming adversity and being better than they were before. I think that that is sort of an, a, a really active, you know, accurate and apt lead in to our guest who had some adversity in his coaching career, maybe came to a conclusion before he thought it would. Uh, but he he turned that into a successful a wildly successful broadcast career. And I'm talking about the man affectionately known as Dickie V, Dick Vitale. I want to share a real quick story. Um, I, I've called Dick Vitale my broadcast hero. And when when I was a junior in college, I can remember on a Friday night, sitting in my, my apartment on Hill Street in Ann Arbor, watching a college basketball game. And Dick did a live read of a promo and it went like this check out tomorrow night tim mccormick and the michigan wolverines travel to east lansing to take on kevin willis and the spartans at eight o'clock on espn be there and i got chills (laughs) and the way that made me feel made me want to be a broadcaster and it was at that moment that i set that goal that i wanted to work for espn one day so dick vitale has impacted people throughout the, this country through the, the, the um, Jimmy V Foundation and, and all of his work there with his love of basketball. Dick Vitale is a legend and a hero. Yeah, and a real treat to to listen to just basketball royalty. One of my all-time favorites. As a matter of fact, the all-time favorite for me, guy I grew up watching and still love listening to, none other than the great, the venerable, Dick Vitale. Dick, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Hey, Sam, I'm going to hire my PR guy. Are you kidding me? Come on. I'm <laughs> aboard the Dickie V Express. Oh, uh, Dick, thank you so much. And you've been the voice of college basketball since I looked this up December 5th, 1979. A Hall of Famer, a broadcast hero to me, too. Um, thanks for joining us, Dick. And 
I um I want to first of all see how you and your family are dealing with this pandemic and the virus and this crazy college basketball season we're going through. Well, you know, it's a little frustrating season, obviously, with so many games being canceled, postponed, etc. You just never know what your schedule. I've had a number of them. But you know what? It beats the fact of not having basketball. At least we've got some basketball going on. We don't have the fans there. We don't have the great spirit and enthusiasm we would normally have. But that's nothing, nothing, Sam and Tim, compared to what so many Americans have had gone through. People, well, not even Americans, all over the world. People losing their jobs. People unemployed. Over 400,000 dead. So ours is so minute. So you make the most of it. You move forward. And you try to do the best you can. Hey, Dick, I want to share a real quick story um, on why you're a hero to me. I was a senior in high school in 1980, and I went to Ron Cameron's radio show because I wanted to meet you. And after the show, Ron and I went back to your house, and I sat on your couch in your living room and <laughs> played a Betamax tape of your rehearsal for this brand-new network that was starting up called ESPN. Uh, it was the Olympic trials. I think Sam Bowie was there. And and I'll never forget your enthusiasm and love of the game. It's been 40 years. What has the journey been like for you? You know, it's exceeded any dream I've had, Tim. I've been very blessed and very lucky in my life in many ways. I've got a beautiful wife for 49 years. Uh, I've always believed in stability. I've been ESPN has my 42nd year coming to an end after another month or so, 42 years there. I didn't involve with the Washington Speakers Bureau for 40 years. So I, I believe in the longevity and staying with people and, and being as loyal as I can. And it's just been, a, it's exceeded. I mean, when I got into doing basketball, you mentioned that, Brian Cameron, I remember that I used to be on his show a lot. He's a baseball lover, Ron. But the thing was that I never, my wildest thoughts ever thought it would go to the things that have happened to me in a world of you know speaking in the world of uh, tv commercials spot i mean it's just unbelievable all the things that have happened because i really thought when i got fired by the pistons i thought i said look to myself i'm going back to where i belong i belong in college my spirit my enthusiasm the nba thing just didn't work out you know you don't have control the uh, owner there was a great man a big michigan guy obviously the late bill davidson and he was so fair to me and so good to me he said you're your biggest enemy you want to win now we know we hired you thinking long term but you're you're killing some because i'd complain all the time tim sam i would say mr davidson we can't win. I could coach them blue in the face. I don't care what I do. We can't beat Kareem and the Lakers. We can't beat Dr. J, Moses, and the Sixers. And I don't like this. I want to win now. I want to win now. I need some players, man. And they'd say, be patient. Will you be patient? Finally, it reached the point, really. Uh, my second year, we were about four and, I don't know, four and five, four and six, something like that, I guess. And I got to call for them the night before we're going to play the Sixers. And in that conversation, I just told him flat up and down that I was just totally frustrated. I can, I, I just coached my heart out, and we I just don't have the personnel to compete with the people we're trying to compete with. So we had injuries too. Bob Lanier, knee surgery. John Shoemate went out with a blood clot, and it's, it's tough to try to win in that league when you lose your stars. So with that, my wife, when I got off the phone, she's, you know, you can't talk to an owner like that. You keep telling them that you can't win, can't win. It's not going to buy it. Well, your wife is always right because the next day I got a phone call from my administrative assistant, and she said, Mr. Davidson wants to come to your house to talk to you. And my wife says, you're going to get fired. 
And I said, you're out of your mind. So it's only 10 games into the season. I said, I just think he wants to go over what we're going to do to change. And he came over. And when he came over, he said, I hate to do this, Dick. I hate this because I really like everything about you, your enthusiasm, your energy. In fact, I want to keep you in the organization in an executive position. And I, you know, I cried a little bit, to be honest with you. And I told him I'm not interested in any executive position. I don't want to, you know, be part of that. And, you know, just uh, if you would have told me 42 years later, I'm talking to Sam Love, and I'm talking to Tim McCormick, and I'm in 14 Hall of Fames, I'd say you're crazy. <laughs> you know, Dick, I, I wonder, because you, you've been in the game uh, as a coach, and whether it's uh, coaches or players, the transition isn't, isn't seamless for a lot of them. You have gone into, you went into the broadcast business and you're able to articulate the game in a way that laymen, you know, average fans can really understand. And you run into it so many times where you got coaches who either are too detailed, too, you know, caught in the weeds to really dumb it down or some that just don't really bring any true analysis to the table. Was it a, a seamless transition for you? How did you make that transition? Hey, Sam, that is a great point. I'm so glad you mentioned that because we talked about that yesterday, one of my bosses at ESPN. The bottom line is when I started ESPN, I didn't know anything about TV. I probably still don't know anything about TV. I just get a microphone and make believe I'm talking to my buddies. But my my guy that hired me was a genius in the world of production, worked for years, was a superstar at NBC, became the head of all remotes at ESPN, Scott Econo. And he told me, he says, Dick, remember this. We're in a business to entertain and to educate. Don't forget that. People watching TV, they want to be entertained as well as being educated. And he said, I'm going to tell you something. And he evaluated me after my few games I did. And he said to me, you got a gift, a gift that when you speak, people may not agree with you, but they're going to the darn water cooler and they're saying, you hear what he said? <laughs> Don't you give this up. Don't you give this up. You can make a great living. So I was thinking of going back coaching in college and when I first started. And then he would say to me, yeah, keep it simple for people. What I've tried to do, Sam, and you made, you hit it just like on, on, on the nose. Too many guys I find out who come out of basketball, coaches, players, they want to play to their peers. They want to show their peers, I know the game. And they over-technolize. Even baseball, football, every play is dissected. But, you know, first quarter, a lot of football games, I'm sleeping. In baseball, the second inning, I'm sleeping. I mean, it's just it's just boredom. My, the average fan who comes home, they have no idea all about, you talk talking the flex offense, you're talking this. They, they really want to see the simplicity. How's the guy scoring, basically, ball movement, player movement, driving into a seam or gapping in defense. You can make it simple for people. And then, not forgetting, I got a beautiful text message tonight, okay? The guy I worked with last night, first time we worked together this year. Great guy, Boog Shambi. I don't know, Tim, if, do you know Boog at all? Oh, absolutely. He's the best. I did one game with him and loved it. Yeah, he, he sends me a text today. He says, oh, my God, Dickie V. was great working with you, and I just made me laugh. And to me, that's what television's about. It's to entertain someone, not just to bore them to death with X's and O's. And, you know, I could do that with anybody. I could give me a chalk, I draw X's and O's, diagrams, vertical cuts, horizontal screens, and have the people who leave. Like, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> you know, you uh, you have, I think, also, though, the the so as a coach and being in the game as long as you have, you can see talent. You can see players who are going to project to be good college players, 
college players who are going to project as good pros and maybe players that are going to project as good coaches. And I was looking at Hoop Dreams the other day, saw you, you know, addressing the guys at the camp. And one of the guys in the crowd was Jawan Howard. And I wonder, or one of the players in the crowd was Jawan Howard. And I wonder when you saw Jawan as a high schooler, what you thought the future held for him. Well, Jawan Howard, first of all, great physical stature, uh, great uh, basketball skills, and then you top it off with a great personality, ability to communicate with people, and just that winner's mentality, coach's dream. I mean, there was no doubt about it. But I appreciate your kind comments there, Sam. I'm going to hire you. I'll give you an example. I had a kid here about five years ago in my town. I went to see another great player play against getting Blakeney. He was rated like the top one, two, or three scoring guards in the country in high school by ESPN's people. So I wanted to go see him. He's coming to Sarasota. I go down to see him, and I see all of a sudden this kid about six foot playing against him, and the kid is running Blakeney into screens, hitting jumpers all over. So I was intrigued by it. So much so I'm saying to myself, gee whiz, this kid can play D1, and yet nobody's recruiting him. So on a Saturday, that was a, like a Wednesday on a Saturday, I noticed he's playing locally. And before I go to dinner with my wife, I said, we're going to stop down there. I want to see this kid's legit. He's playing against a really tough club today, and they got a 6'5 kid that's going to be recruited on that team. And I want to see how he does. They played a box of one. The 6'5 kid chased the kid that I liked all over the place, and he's running him into screens, had like 32. Oh, my gosh. I finally went to his father, and I said, do me a favor. Get me a video of your son. His name was Ryan McMahon. I said, get me a video mm-hmm. of your son, and I want to be able to send it to my friends to see if we can get this kid. And because he told me he had no D1 offers, not one. I sent it to over 30-some coaches, called guys, and they laughed. They said, in fact, how do, uh, I shouldn't mention it. I can't mention it. The one coach said to me, Dickie V, you send me these little guys. Go get me some of those 6'10 guys like Calipari has in the 6'9. Come on, man. He can't play D1. Well, I kept going and going. Finally, I got one coach. I probably begged him. I know Patino. I said, Rick, I said, I know you think I'm crazy. I want you to personally come here and see this kid. And you tell me if I'm wrong. He said, you really? I said, yeah. You know, videos are very misleading. He said, videos like the Patino came down here. He saw him. And, man, he said, Dick, he can play. He can stroke that jumper as a place for him. And Patino ultimately signed him. He became, now he is the all-time, I believe he's third at Louisville in the history of the school in terms of three-point shooting, like second in free-throw shooting. And you asked Tom Izzo. He put 25 against Michigan State. He's had 20 against Duke. Though my point being, Sometimes, you know, they get so wrapped up with all these guys that are on these lists. This guy's this, this guy's that list, that list, this list. You know what? There's a lot of kids out there that can play who just need opportunity. Hey, Dick, um, my knowledge of basketball goes back to March 17th of 1977. You were coaching Detroit at Rupp Arena against Michigan, Phil Hubbard and Ricky Green and John Robinson. You know Michigan basketball as well as anyone. You broadcast thousands of games. Who is on the list? Maybe the best three Michigan basketball players you have ever broadcast. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> three best. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you know, I loved, I loved Hubbard, obviously. Hubbard, to me, it was such a 
warrior. I mean, he just absolutely went on a glass like you can't believe. I'm, I'm not putting my kids. I'm biased to my kids, Tyler Long and them. So I won't include them. I'll talk about it. I'll tell you another one was unbelievable. Put 41 on us, but we beat them. We beat them with Michigan State, actually. Terry Furlow. Terry uh, Furlow. You talking about Michigan's or just the University of Michigan? Yeah, I'd love to hear this. I, I'd rather rather hear just your Michigan guys if you could. Okay, well, so Hubbard's Hubbard's, yeah. Hubbard, Hubbard is one who I broadcast his game. No, I didn't put – wait a minute. I coached against Hubbard. I did not yes. broadcast his games. That's so right. we're talking broadcast. We've got to talk more recent, obviously. you got to talk Weber. Oh, Weber was incredible. Mm-hmm. I mean, just a tremendous talent. I mean, you could keep the – take the whole fat fight. What about Tim McCormick? I called that <laughs> games, right? <laughs> oh, that's – yeah, that, that's a good one. You, you um, just elevate yourself to all-time greatest But, you know, podcast. I mean, you talk Jalen Rose and Weber and those guys. I mean, they were unbelievable. Yeah, right. uh, pretty tough to top them in terms of – you know, but I didn't I – mean, obviously, I didn't broadcast games with Hubbard and Green and that club. But, you know, you brought back a memory to me. That was as heartbreak hotel as ever to me because I felt in my heart we were better than them. I really did. It might think I'm crazy, but I felt and I felt to this day. I teased Coach Orr when I was at Iowa State, you know, a year or so prior to his passing. I was there for a game and we hooked up and talked. And John was a great guy and he had a way of teasing me all the time. Ah, Dickie V, we got your Titans, boy. Yeah, I said, we got the Titans. We coached the national championship. We took so much out of them, so much out of them in that game at Rupp Arena that they got upset, one of the big upsets, to go to the Final Four, North Carolina, not the University of North Carolina, North Carolina, Charlotte, with Cornbrim, Maxwell, upset that Michigan team. We that year, Timmy, that year, we beat Marquette in Milwaukee, they won the national championship. We won our 21st in a row, and we beat them on their floor. Dennis Boyd did a shot to beat them. They had the great Butch Lee on that team and all those great players they had. But they went on to win the national title, but we had Michigan in our way. Had we gotten by Michigan, I really believe we could have won it. We got beaten. If you remember that game, we got beaten the last minute. It was anybody's game with a minute to go, and they made a couple of plays at the end of the game. Hubbard gave us a fit on the glass, but it was just a terrific – it was great for the state of Michigan. It was great. It was a lot of tears shed. I'll tell you that. I shed some tears, but I honestly, truly felt that we could have beat them. Somebody told me the other day, I was talking to Earl Curitan. I said, you know what? If you had stayed in Detroit and not gone to the pros – you could have made University of Detroit the Gonzaga of basketball. Mm. And I, I wow. you know what? Mm. I really believe I could have done that, Timmy, because we would have locked up the one great asset we had, the city of Detroit, produced so many great players. And we were getting them, man. We were getting them from Durod. Well, I'm so sorry to know Terry passed recently. Terry Durod, Tyler Long. I mean, it goes on. Wilbur McCormick, uh, Toronto Anderson, all those local kids we were getting. And we had it rolling that we would have continued to get them. I used to tell Johnny, you are free to don't even think you're coming to the city. You got no chance. <laughs> In that game, John Long had 25. John Robinson had 25. Phil Hubbard had 22. And as I listen to you throw out all of this, this great history, um, I would be irresponsible if I didn't ask you to name maybe the top two or three college basketball players that you have ever seen, have ever broadcast. Well, ever seen in my life was obviously 
Oscar Robinson. Mm. Uh, Oscar came to Madison Square Garden, put 56 on my school, Seton Hall, and we had 54. He was he was in another <laughs> world because he did everything. He did everything. I mean, and you got to factor in Kareem at UCLA. I mean, come on. Uh, Lou Alcindor at that time, he they tried to stop him by taking away the dunk, and they couldn't stop him. <laughs> he developed the sky hook and didn't lose. I mean, just was just tremendous. Lost one game, I think, in college. That was when he had an eye injury, and then he came back against Houston in a NCAA tournament and, and just obliviated him. It's just unbelievable. He was in another world. I mean, you could go on and on. There's so many. I tell you another guy, a college player. I did a book. I did a book on the best, the best 50 players in my 40 years at ESPN. And in that, you know, I had number one. You're not going to believe this. I know Jordan. Jordan Jordan's NBA. I mean, he, he was certainly a great college player, but his fame really developed in the NBA. So my number one college guy was a guy that was worth 15 points a game to me before he ever stepped on the floor. In the book, you put 15 points because you're not getting anything around the basket. Forget about it. You better make the threes because you've got no chance around the basket. And that is Patrick Ewan. Mm. I thought mm. he was one of the most intimidating, dominating players in, in the game in terms of his defensive presence. Number two, I had, uh, uh, you know, I had a guy, people say you're crazy. I don't think I'm crazy. He was a fantastic college player in my era, my 40 years, Christian Leitner. I and then like, I yeah, went number absolutely. three. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what about Ralph Sampson? Ralph <laughs> Sampson is one of only two players ever, ever to be a three-time college All-American, a three-times player of the year, rather. Player of the year, three years in a row. Ralph Sampson was right there. And I had Jordan, I had Jordan four or five on that list. And I thought I was being very fair there. You know, so again, there was somebody. I mean, I had Danny Manning, Wayman Tisdale. Oh, I could go back and tell you memories of some games that were, were just incredible. I did a game one time, Carolina and Virginia. It was unreal. It was like number, I don't, I don't remember exactly, number one and number three, sorry, number two and number three. But all I know, it was a magical night. The game is in Chapel Hill, and they get and beat Carolina by this great Virginia team. Sampson is just too tough on the inside, his size, his touch. And all of a sudden, in the last two minutes, I couldn't believe what I was watching. Steal, dunk, block shot, hit the ball the other way, score at the end, and Carolina wins. And I go on the end of the game screaming and yelling, supposedly, you know, forget about Ralph Sampson, forget about him. The best player in America, pound for pound, inch for inch, is Michael the Magnificent, this young kid. <laughs> Little did I know, Tim, that I had a date coming up to go to Charlottesville. I go oh, to God. Charlottesville, and my producer calls me up. He says, oh, my God, when do you see the headline when you arrive here? Vital says Jordan better than Sampson. So now I walk in. You know, we go to a couple hours early, as you know. I walk in, and who's the first darn guy I'm going to see as I go in the back? Here comes Sampson walking toward the court, and he sees me, and he stops me. And he says, uh, oh, here comes Michael Jordan's PR agent. <laughs> and I sort of start laughing and all. I said, Ralph, you know, I think you're great. I just thought he was un unreal. But now I'm at an event one time. I run into Ralph Sapps years and years ago. I run into him at an event. He comes up to me and he says, come over here, Dickie V. And I go over to him and he says to me, he whispers to me, he says, you know what? You were right. <laughs> he said, you were right. He was the he was the greatest. You know, but there's so many memories, so many great, great players. 
And I, you know, I get a little sentimental about this because I know it's all going to be coming to an end. I mean, I, the clock is running. I'm 81 years old. But God, it's, I feel as energized today as I did really on that day you said I started, Timmy, back in 79. Yeah. My, my last one for you, Dick, and just real quick before Michigan fans start killing me for, you know, shouting out Christian Leitner. I, I hate Leitner, too, but I think he's the best college basketball player I've ever seen. I didn't say he was the most talented, but the best one I've ever seen. But, Dick, I got to ask you a question about this Michigan team. Uh, kind of give me your, your assessment of this, this one-loss team, number four in the country. There are a lot of people that believe that this is a championship contender. What do you think, and do you see them as being on par with, with Gonzaga and Baylor? You know, obviously they played brilliantly this year. They've exceeded, I think, even what many, many Michigan fans would have anticipated and expected. I mean, the future is so bright with the great recruiting class coming in next year, one of the best in the country. Some say number one. Jawan has done a fantastic job. Hiring also Phil Martelli was a terrific move. Martelli is one of my favorite people. I mean, he really got a raw deal at St. Joseph's. But I, I will say this about this Michigan team. Yeah, they're a legitimate contender. There's no question about it. However, saying all that, the danger factor is when you have a tournament, there are a lot of teams out there who on a given night, on a given night, have the ability to beat these people. This is not four out of seven. It's a one-game shot. You know, I did a game last night, and I'm telling you, Baylor looked awesome defensively. Talked to Shaka Smart this morning about it, and it just, they got so many parts. They got six guys <coughs> shooting, ready for this, six guys 37% and higher shooting threes. They lead the nation at 43. They'll probably go up now because they last night shot 53% from the three, 11 for 21. And last night going into the game, they were uh, at 43.4% shooting threes as a team. I mean, that's tough to deal with. And then they're probably they're, they're rated with the adjusted uh, efficiency rating defensively the number one team in the country. So you got a team that defends, you got a team that makes threes, you got a team that forces more turnovers than anybody. I mean, they're a basketball team that's going to be tough to beat. Gonzaga is the most explosive team in the country offensively. Saying all that, are they beatable? Yes, because the beauty. Can Michigan beat them on a given day? Yes, because the beauty of college basketball is that it's not four out of seven. If you told me, can Michigan beat them four out of seven? I'd probably say no. But in a one-game shot, yes. Dick, thank you so much. And uh, we've heard you over countless hours over the course of our basketball lives having you break down basketball games. The Super Bowl is in your backyard. I love some football analysis. You're a Buccaneer guy. How do you see the Super Bowl going this weekend? Well, we got a Michigan man. Are you kidding me? We got <laughs> hail to the victors. We got a Michigan man, Mr. Brady at the center. Are you kidding me? I'm going to send a gift to Bill Belichick and Mr. Kraft down there with the Patriots because I cannot believe that they didn't get this guy locked up forever in a Patriot uniform. So we got a chance. There's no question about it. We got a good defense. We beat the Packers. We won three games on the road. Very, very good. I want to close with this, though, guys. Uh, to me, Bobby and Sam, the most important thing to me now in my life is raising money for kids battling cancer through the V Foundation. Anybody would like to help me, want to help me, all you got to do is go to dickfightdown.com. I got my latest book, The Lost Season, and that book, Michigan's in that book. Talked about Michigan and Juwan and them in the book because we talked about how they could have, you know, what they would have done possibly in the tournament. And it's all about last year not having a March Madness. And every dollar, not 50 cents, 60 cents out of every book, Every dollar 
that I would make from there goes to the V Foundation for Kids Battling Cancer. I'm proud to say my gala right now and all the fundraising we've done has raised a total of $37 million for the V Foundation for Kids Battling Cancer. But we need a heck of a lot more. Dick, I'm going to buy my book when we hang up, and I want to thank you. You're a Hall of Famer. You're a broadcast hero to me, and we just thank you so much for joining yeah, us. Thanks, Dick. Well, you're a classy guy, Tim. I should have had you down with me if I was there coaching in Detroit. I would have <laughs> let you left down here. It was Clarkston, right? Did you play Clarkston? Clarkston, yes. And I, I have you know, pretty I brought, good memory. Hey, man, yeah. that's the one thing. When you get older, you worry about your memory. I, I mean, you brought me back to back to 77. My memory was there sharp. Butch Lee, Marquette, Phil Hubbard. Wow. I probably would have come. If you were there, I probably would have come, Dick. Thank you. Uh, oh, I would have lived in your backyard if I was there. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Th- thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Dick. Hey, Sam. Thank you, Sam. You ever want another job, Sam? Call me. You'd be my PR agent. <laughs> I got you, Dick. Always, man. Appreciate you. Tell Juwan I said hello, guys. All right. Thanks, Dick. Take care. And we are back here on the Michigan Basketball Insider. And, Tim, I, you know, I could tell, I could hear it in your voice as we were interviewing Dick, the the awe. And I can I could just tell you, I felt the same way. Chills listening to Dickie V on our podcast. He's, um, he's a very important person to me. And you can imagine as a high school student going to his house and listening on a Betamax tape. And, and I can remember sitting on his couch thinking to myself, there is no way that this guy will be a broadcaster because he was so different than anything I had ever heard. I had never heard that type of enthusiasm. Imagine the Olympic trials in which he was broadcasting. It's an empty gym other than the guys on the court. And, and he's yelling and he's so enthused just like he is now. He's so upbeat and fired up. And, and it's just, it was almost uncomfortable in that setting. And, and I, I went home and my dad said, so what, what did you think of the, the tape? What did you think of him as a broadcaster? And I said, I, I mean, I'm, I was so energized listening to him, but it just seemed so different than anybody I've ever heard. I just don't know if he'll ever be a broadcaster. <laughs> and now 40 years later, he's the name and the face of an entire sport. Yeah, I thought what he said about being an entertainer as well as a commentator. You know, I, I, I don't think everyone has to have the same style. I don't know that. There are very many analysts that can mix the two as well as Dickie V. Some guys are, are much more, you know, X's and O's driven in their analysis, and that works for them. But I think Dickie V, the color to the color commentary, I, I think that the, the emphasis on color is something that really works for him. Right. And think about this. He, he's iconic and he's even more than, than, than just basketball. He's been in nine movies and he's written 10 books. And, and so, and, and his work with the V foundation is just legendary. He's, he's a, he's a gift to all of us. Yeah. Well, Tim, you brought that gift to the podcast. So I'm, I'm thanking you on behalf of the listeners. Also want to get to let's, let's segue though, uh, because as we got to talking, listening to Dick talking about Michigan's team and uh, you know, the pros that they have, there are a couple of guys who, I, I wonder if you have a projection. We've already talked about Hunter Dickinson, and you, you, you believe that he's going to be back in college. He's going to be seasoned a little bit more. A couple of guys that we we know Isaiah Livers is going to go. Franz Wagner, we expect to go. I'm curious as you talk to your your sources and NBA circles, what's the what's the projection for those guys? What are people saying, and what do you think? 
Well, first of all, I am, I always enjoy the ESPN draft watch and, and it came out this week with an updated projection and, and they, they had Michigan as the only school with two projected draftees. Um, it had Franz at 20, which I think is low. And, and it also had Isaiah livers at 50, which I think is low as well, especially if they take their teams deep into the NCAA tournament. Um, so in terms of Franz, I've watched Franz develop since he was at the top 100 camp, and I believe he will be a much better NBA player than a college player. He's so young. His versatility, his driving and finishing is a strength, and, and it's something that I found as um, a, a player that transitioned from college to the NBA. I thought the NBA game was easier than the college game because college is so physical and there's so many defenders in the paint. In the NBA with the rules, you can't hand check. You can't get physical with someone. I think that Franz Wagner covers more ground with one dribble than anybody else in college basketball. He can cover one through four on defense with pick and roll situations. And when he puts on weight, I think he can carry another 20 pounds. That will shift and he can cover one through five. Um, and, and, and so I also thought it was kind of interesting that when you look through the Big Ten, Io DeSumno from Illinois is projected at 35. Luca Garza at 45, which I think is a wow. little bit low. Wow. Trace Jackson Davis at 57 and Aaron 51. And Aaron Henry is at 55. And a couple of guys that, that I wanted to ask you about that I thought interesting no-shows on that list. Ron Harper Jr. Yeah. And then Coburn, not on the list. Kofi Coburn. You know, so did, yeah. Did, does that surprise you? It... it... With Ron Harper Jr. more than Kofi Coburn, I think Kofi Coburn has some some things to prove on a couple of fronts, Tim. And I got to talking about this with with, with some of my friends, uh, Steve Clark being one of them. I don't know if you, you hear him on the radio from time to time, but we were we were talking about Kofi Coburn and how often Illinois has him on the bench. Like he, yeah. you, you just don't feel like they. I feel like Michigan rides Hunter Dickinson more. You know, he's a freshman. More than they ride Kofi Coburn. That was one of the things that stuck out so much in the victory over over Indiana. I mean, they had to use him. And to his credit, he came up big for them down the stretch, and was ultimately the difference in the game. You know, whether it was a you know a few baskets toward the end of regulation, a, a pick and roll slam in overtime. But I just don't. He, he hasn't developed to me as a consistent enough offensive threat to me to warrant being a, a guy whose projection is higher than than we're talking about right now. Physically, I mean, he can run the floor. He's strong. You know, he's going to be on the glass. But you can't – I just don't think you can just be a defensive guy. I mean, you got to show more offensive consistency, in my opinion. And I think that's a limiting factor for him. Ron Harper Jr. showed me a lot this year. And I, I would think that with his size, uh, with him showing – uh, greater shooting ability, uh, more of a volume scorer, that that would be something that NBA scouts uh, would have more respect for. Maybe they want to see him do it uh, over a longer period of time before the projection moves up. I, I don't even know better than me in talking to scouts, but I, I guess I, I'm giving Ron Harper Jr. a little more credit than maybe the, the scouts are at this point. Well, he, he can he can make a perimeter shot, and I think he's a physical defender. He's 255, and with his lineage and with, with the fact that he's getting better as his college career progresses, I have, I have a lot of upside in mind for him. 
All right. So, uh, you know, speaking of upside, Tim, uh, we are constantly talking recruiting when it comes to Juwan Howard. Has a number one recruiting class in the country. You know, all ready to go. Maybe he's going to add to it. Remains to be seen if he's going to add to it or not. Uh, But already working hard on the next round of players. And one of those guys that in talking to our analysts, and I had the great fortune of talking to Eric Bossy, 24-7 sports, one of the national recruiting analysts. You know, he was at the Montverde IMG Academy game that we talked about recently, really breaking down Michigan's uh, commits in that game. And and Caleb Houston and Musa, Musa Giabate talked a little bit about Jet Howard. Uh, Michigan is very much in the running for, for Jairus Walker. But Doug McDaniel, uh, and this is this is the thing that maybe even a lot of Michigan fans don't appreciate. It was mentioned that Michigan was in the top five for him. Eric thinks that Michigan is the favorite for Doug McDaniel. I know you've had an opportunity to watch him, uh, to scout him a little bit based on you know watching some footage. What did you think of, of Doug's game and how he might fit at the college level, how he might fit at Michigan? Sam, I, I am so excited by his, his tape. And I watch a lot of tapes. I watch two on Doug. And, and I have to tell you, I loved his tape, and I thought it was as good as any I've seen. It, it told a story. It was like watching a movie. I feel like I know Doug McDaniel now. And, and his video showed his game and his potential, and you know exactly who he is. Um, I think that the, the comp that, that, that really jumped out at me is Xavier Simpson on the defensive end. Mm-hmm. He's got some junkyard dog in him. His hands are really quick. And when he gets into a stance, remember he's, he's a point guard. So he's not big. He looks like he's five, nine or five ten, So he's undersized for sure. But he uses that to his advantage because when he gets into a stance, he's so low and he's so quick that, that he's defending at the same level that the offensive player is dribbling. And it just looked like people couldn't even run their offense. The other team's point guard is so worried about getting the ball up the court that that his second priority is running the offense. And that's a that's a guy that you can build a lot of your defense around. Uh, he's a tricky ball handler. He he's got a nice finish. He doesn't look like he's a great shooter right now, but but we've already seen with Xavier, if you surround him with really good shooters, there there there's a lot that you can do offensively. So I don't know if you can tell by the enthusiasm of my voice, but I am a fan of Doug McDaniel, and I would love to see him wear maize and blue. Well, it sounds like the Wolverines have a great chance. No, Phil Martelli has been all over him. And it's another team takeover guy. Uh, as I said, this is a, a Michigan, Juwan Howard, Phil Martelli being very active, very visible, very respected in the DMV. Uh, but you you get to the point where you look at Michigan anywhere in the country and the name is resonating even more. And that was kind of the theme in talking to 24-7 Sports National Recruiting Analyst Eric Bossy to give us a recruiting update, a Michigan basketball recruiting update. So here's Eric. A special guest, the first time appearing on the podcast, but been admiring his work for a long time in the basketball recruiting game. Now with 24-7 Sports, Eric Bossy. Eric, how you doing? I'm doing well. You must have a pretty low bar for uh, what you choose to admire then. <laughs> no, admire your work. Admire uh, how you're seemingly everywhere, man. Really tied in to these uh, to these kids, to the to the programs, to, uh, you know, whether it's AAU programs or college programs. A lot of great insight. So it should come as no surprise to our listeners that when the biggest game, arguably, of the high school season, Montverde versus IMG Academy, 
you're there checking it all out, taking it all in, seeing all that great talent on the court, including a couple of Michigan commitments. So before we start talking about recruits, I really want to start there and get your assessment of the of the two Michigan guys, starting with, with Caleb Houston. What what was your take on his performance? What's your take on his game? Um, you know, obviously I've I've been watching him for a while. So like you say, you get a take from the game, and then you get a take that's kind of built up over the years. And I think what you see for Michigan fans who are maybe getting their first chance to see him on TV, what you see from him that is is pretty much what you get. He's a he's a very good spot up jump shooter, um, sneaky rebounder. I like that he can play as either a stretch four or a big three on the college level and guys who can space the floor are a premium these days. And that's what he does. And he's also a guy that, you know, he's not going to go out there and waste a bunch of dribbles. You don't have to run a bunch of crazy things for him. He just kind of finds ways to be productive. Now, whenever you see a five-star guy, top 10 guy, the automatic question is, okay, he's going to college. Is he a one and done? What do you think the, you know, the career trajectory is for, for Caleb? Yeah. Um, Personally, I think he's likely maybe maybe a couple year college player, but you never know with some of these guys. I mean, I feel like there's always maybe four or five guys in a class that you can pretty much count or lock one and done. You know, you see Chet Holmgren's, Jaden Hardy's, those type of guys, Paulo Boncaro's, and it's a pretty good bet that they're going to be a one and done, assuming they do go to college. Guys like Chet or uh, Jaden, but you start getting into those guys who are in that ten twenty range. It's a little bit more of a toss up, but Caleb does have one extremely translatable skill with that jump shot, and he's got positional size for the NBA as a small forward. Now, can he show a little bit more off off the dribble? Um, can he show that he can defend out in space on wings like that? I think that will determine how long he's in college. Mm-hmm, gotcha. The other guy, uber athlete, big man. I mean, if if you are looking at uh, you know, the performance of a big man who is a different kind of athlete, different kind of big man. And, and Hunter Dickinson, you got to be encouraged by what Jawan Howard can do. This will be a different kind of big man. What do you think about Musa Giabate and how he will translate to the college level under Jawan Howard's tutelage? Yeah. <laughs> Could you be more night and day in terms of playing style um, with, with him and Hunter? You know, Hunter is this big mountain of a man throwback, big guy. And, and Musa is more of the modern big man. He's, he's a sleek athlete. He can really run. He plays above the rim. Uh, shot blocker, he's a guy that defensively is very versatile. Um, guys who can switch from position to position and, and at least be able to hedge or hold on during ball screen situations when they get stuck out on a, on a ball handler, they're, they're extremely valuable. And he's, he's come a long way in that regard. He used to be pretty lost out there, but you can see that He's really flourished with the coaching at IMG and has taken what they've been trying to teach him to heart. And I think the biggest thing is his motor used to run a little bit hot and cold, Mm -hmm. but now you can always count that he's going to play hard. And once he gets into a college weight room and and can add a little bit more weight on the frame, you know, you've you've got a real nice, you know, I'm I'm assuming Hunter (laughs) will be back, but you've got a, you've got a really nice one, two punch. And I hope I didn't call Hunter Hunter Mickelson earlier. I think I said Dickinson. But you did. You, I, did. I, you said Dickinson. Okay. Okay. I've, I've got a bad habit of you throwing Mickelson from a, from a guy a few years back out there every now and then. So my apologies to Hunter if I did so. Now, you you talked about the thing that is the biggest improvement, his, his motor. But from a skill set standpoint, where have you seen the biggest growth in Moose's game? I, I think actually with, with what he does around the rim. Um, 
in that he's playing more around the rim. He used to be one of those guys, and he still does from time to time, that wants to float out to the perimeter and try and shoot jump shots or maybe focus a little bit too much on attacking off the dribble, which he can do with bigger guys because he's so quick. He's got a quickness advantage. But you're still going to be able to play in and around the post, and I think he's done that. He's improved his touch around the rim. His footwork has gotten better, and he's learned that you know, all that length, athleticism, quickness can be a real asset if he's just active on the offensive glass. And those were some of the things that he was missing because so many young big guys who have any bit of face-up skill, it's like they feel like they need to show that over and over again. But he's still going to be a big man. And, and that's what he's learned, and that's what I've been most impressed by, aside from the motor improvement. All right. So now we start to get into some of the other guys that were – I mean, the entire rosters for both teams are like are big time power five players, right? So we could we could really run down the line. But I'm curious if you could give a scouting report to the people on Jet Howard, a guy who, for obvious reasons, Michigan is the favorite for. What do you think of Jet? Yeah, Jet's interesting. Um, you know, if anyone who's watched him play, he is a. Let's just say that he doesn't lack for confidence on the offensive end. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, isn't afraid to to take a shot. And if anything, can maybe even be dialed dialed down a little bit in terms of his aggressiveness and recognizing good shots versus bad shots. But you know, he looks like a Big Ten wing, right? He's he's strong. He's athletic. Uh, he can make some shots. He can attack the rim and transition off the dribble. He does all those things you want to play. So I think that you know he he looks exactly like you would think that a guy who's ranked in like the top fifty, top seventy five type range, who's being recruited by big time programs would look. Now, obviously. He's going to say, oh, I'm not a lock to go to Michigan. And we're all going to write the stories and say, oh, Jet Howard wants more people to recruit him. But, you know, I have a hard time believing that anyone's going to seriously take a run at trying to get him away from his dad. Right, no doubt. All right, so a couple of big guys who, look, Michigan is, I I wrote the other day, leaving the light on for. They are clearly not in the driver's seat for, for either guy. Uh, they recruited him heavily, but they are, according to you know most pundits, leaning elsewhere. What do you think of the? Where do you think things stand with the recruitments of Efton Reed and Charles Bediaco? And what do you make of Michigan's even outside shot at both uh, both centers? Yeah, let's start with Efton Reed because I think uh, whether it be Michigan fans, people covering Michigan, or, or people covering any program, really, he's been a tough one to read. Um, mostly for the fact that he does not do a lot of media. And when he does, he really doesn't give too much away (laughs) in terms of what he's saying. Michigan's still in there knocking on the door. Ohio State seems to be in fairly good position with him, but nobody's really quite sure on things. Uh, For a while, Kentucky was kind of kicking around the tires and seemed to be getting some run. But when they got big Oscar Sheway from West Virginia, that kind of took them out of even really wanting to pursue that. So, So he's still there. He's still a possibility. But I don't think there's anyone who really has a good good idea for what he may be doing, and he's another one that there's been some rumblings that he, he'd maybe be interested in a G League type situation. Now, the thing with those is they've got to be interested in you too, and he's kind of interesting because he's not quite the same skill level as, as Hunter, but he's more of that traditional kind of throwback, you know, big space-eating big man versus, you know, one of these new age run rim to rim, uh, play facing the rim some type of guys. Now with uh, – with Charles, I think the pretty consistent thought on it is that, that Alabama is going to be the team to beat here. Now, are they unbeatable? I don't think so because I don't think a team is unbeatable until a kid says yes, unless you've got situations like Jet Howard where dad is coaching. <laughs> right, um, right. But 
you know, I think Michigan is, is right in there. There's still regular contact and, you know, they did get another player from, from his summer program and someone that he has a relationship with in Caleb. So I think it would be foolish to totally roll them out on him at this point. Right. I gotcha. All right. So a guy that you wrote on, man, you talk about the most on a, in a game where everyone's going big time power five, seemingly the most impressive looking guy on the floor was Jarris Walker. Man, he looks like he pays a mortgage <laughs> and has a family yes. already. I mean, this is just a grown man playing with high school kids by the looks of it. Uh, but he is a guy who consistently, going back even into the late summer, early fall, as Michigan mi- mentioned Michigan in very high regard. Yeah. Um, you know, there's what I like about Jarris is he, he doesn't really BS around when he talks about his recruitment. Um, you know, he doesn't say, oh, everybody's all the same or whatever. He at least says, hey, look. Auburn, North Carolina, and Michigan, those, those are the three schools that are recruiting me the hardest. And those are the three schools that I'm looking the most closely at. So we've got a pretty good idea now of who the competition is, right? And I think it's a, a pretty even race. And he also mixed in the caveat that he, he could go ahead and roll as a, as a 2021 player, which, you know, obviously you look at the kid physically that's not a stretch you know even though i was i yeah. i worry a little bit about guys skipping a year of high school because that, that's still a year of development and it's hard to make the transition from college or from high school to college right but you know he's a big time athlete uh really gifted passer can kind of play him all over i really think at the end of the day settles in as a college foreman is, is probably the most effective spot to play him at because you can run some offense through him out of the high post and things of that nature now you know, he, he's got to work on his jump shot and he's got to get a bit more consistent. But, I mean, that guy is definitely a genetic lottery winner when you look at him. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. All right. So the opposite end of the size spectrum, and we can step away from, from IMG and Montverde because, uh, like I said, we can go through their whole rosters. But a guy who seems to be closing in or getting closer to a decision and a guy who the Wolverines are very involved with is the point guard Doug McDaniel. So, like I said, opposite end of the size spectrum compared to Jarris, but a guy that Phil Martelli has been working pretty hard for for Michigan. So, what about Doug, and what do you make of Michigan's chances with him? You know, if, if Michigan's not the leader, I say they're right there. It's it's basically going to come down to if he's willing to leave home, I, I, I would imagine he's going to pick Michigan. If he doesn't want to leave home, then, then I think Georgetown may have a good shot there. But I do think Michigan's in good position. Um, not only from speaking to him, but just from kind of hearing around some situations. And they seem to really like him. And, you know, Martelli's got ties into the area from all those years at St. Joe's and everything. And I think they like a guy like him who's a ball mover because they're, they're, they're really getting a lot of weapons mm-hmm. um, in terms of wing and interior scores. And if you look at even like Frankie Collins in – 2021 you know he's a little bit more of a traditional i guess point guard and that you know you've seen with arenado the the club slash high school team he's playing right now and yeah he does some scoring and because they need him to but his best asset is being able to get his feet into the paint and find open open teammates or stuff and i think that's the kind of guy that doug is and he's a quick guy um you know not the biggest guy around not a freaky athlete or anything like that but very crafty quick creative player um you know, bring some juice to the floor and kind of gets guys going. And coming out of a big-time high school program like Paul the Sixth, he's getting high-level coaching. He's getting high-level coaching in the summer with team takeover. You know, guys like that are, are generally safe bets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and obviously uh, you see a guy like Mike Smith, similar size, and uh, moving the ball really, really being the, the catalyst for this team. Uh, I would think that that 
would bode well for a projection as far as Doug is concerned. And then, like you said, the team takeover ties are undeniable. What do you make of Jawan's just seemingly overriding presence so far uh, in the DMV? He's gotten a lot of traction down there. Seem to love him from his bullets days. Yeah, that. And here's here's the thing. I think that everyone needs to take into account with uh, with Jawan is he has children who have been involved in grassroots programs in a lot of these areas that, that he's making an impact in. And he's known, you know, people have known Jawan Howard, the NBA player and all that stuff. But these families that he's recruiting, a lot of them have seen him around on the on the circuit, you know, as their kids have been playing, whether they're in the same program or an opposing program, you know, they've seen him as just a dad in the stands since their kids were, you know, five, six, seven years old traveling around the country and doing this stuff. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. Uh, there's a kind of an approachability about him and just also a feel for, you know, you've been sitting in the stands with parents for the last 10, 12 years, hearing what they say. And Juwan Howard's clearly a very smart guy, right? Right. You sit around and you listen to what they say and, and what motivates them. It's probably g- good stuff to learn as you're making the jump to, to college basketball and starting to recruit these kids. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. My last one for you. So stepping outside of the areas with ties over to a couple of guys that the Wolverines are sort of on the periphery for uh, to a couple of guys from Kansas. Starting off first with with Mark Mitchell, who the Wolverines have been in contact with, like I said, hovering on the periphery. And then Aiden Shaw. Aiden, whose family is from Detroit. I know that Saudi Washington has had contact with him. I know his family has been wondering where Michigan is. It sounds like things are starting to get to the point where the Wolverines are going to turn up a little heat. What can you tell us about those guys, and what can you tell us about their recruitment? Sure. You know, these guys, I'm I'm in Kansas City. you know, Aiden Shaw goes to high school about a 10-minute drive from my house. Mark Mitchell about 15 or 20 minutes from my house. You know, I've, I've been watching these kids for a long, long time, know them well. Uh, you know, I think Mark has never really said, and I, I've spoken with Mark recently, he's never really said too much about Michigan mm-hmm. just yet. So I don't really know where they are with him. His focus seems to be with uh, North Carolina, UCLA, Kansas, maybe Missouri a little bit. Um, with Aiden, Missouri is another one that is pretty strong. You know, his his parents went to school there and everything. But like you say, they've got those Michigan ties. And I definitely think that him and his family have have some piqued interest there, especially seeing the type of uh, notoriety they're getting this year and, and the way they're playing. Because it's one thing to recruit well, but, you know, it's still ideal to have a product on the floor that, that speaks to that, right? And, you know, for all these kids like Aiden, that Michigan's starting to get in on that maybe they don't have as much of a natural tie to. That product they're putting on the floor this year is is the single biggest aid to recruiting them, and you know I think there's definitely a shot to get in there. He's a, he's a pretty wide open kid. It's you know he's not been able to take a bunch of visits or anything. Like he took a few early as as a, as a sophomore, just some unofficial visit type stuff. But he's not a kid who I really think is very far down the road with any one school or another. So he's one of those guys that's maybe an out of region guy that you would have a good shot to move in and try and make a play for. Yeah, time will certainly tell. Eric, this will not be the last time we catch up with you, my man. Uh, appreciate you taking time out of your day and just stay safe out there. I guess the last question would be, what are you hearing about the AAU season, so to speak? It sounds like, uh, you know, the big shoe companies are, are are out, but 
Do you think that there will still be a lot of AAU tournaments going on during the spring? Oh yeah, there, there's there's going to be a lot. A lot of the people, you know, by the end of the summer and early fall, um, even in this last 2020 cycle, there was a lot of stuff going on pretty much everywhere. Especially if you, the further south you go, the more lively it was, you know, and then the and the less care there seemed to be about any type of pandemic. Right. And I think it's now starting to spread, and a lot of people are just, you know, pretty much like, you know, these guys are going to play, so we might as well have them come to our event. You know, um, I'm with you. I don't see when you've got Nike, Under Armour, Adidas, these big corporations backing leagues. I just don't see them saying to themselves, Hey, the money we're going to dump into this thing is is worth, is worth the positive negativity out of it. And I think they're realizing a little bit that, you know, maybe they don't need to spend quite as much money on these things. Mm. As they have in the past, is I think ultimately going to be a byproduct that we see. Really, you know, it could in the long run maybe limit some funding of things. There's still going to be stuff, but that's 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 getting that's getting way down the road. Let's not get too far ahead of ourselves on that one. But it's not going to be business as usual. But there will be many more events in the spring and summer than there were to start off at the beginning of the pandemic last year, and it's going to be interesting to see. And I think they'll be relatively regionalized, but. We'll see a few people put together some national things. And I think that maybe at least as of this is we might start to see some of the teams and regions that usually wouldn't play against each other due to shoe affiliation and having to be at their Adidas league or their EYBL league or whatever. Maybe we'll start to see some of these guys play, but you know, it's going to be interesting because I don't, I don't think college coaches are going to get out anytime soon. Um, There is at least a lot of talk starting to form that uh, sometime in April, they're going to start allowing kids to take official visits again. But most coaches I speak to aren't expecting to be out on the road again recruiting until at least June or July. Gotcha. Well, Eric, great stuff, man. Thanks a lot for your time. Now, appreciate you having me on. Great insight from Eric Bossy. You can always find him over on 24-7 Sports, and we will definitely be staying up to speed on Charles Bediaco, certainly on Doug McDaniel, and all the other prospects that the Wolverines are on. But, Tim, uh, you know, I guess part of me – is anxiously awaiting getting this break over so we can get back to talking about actual games. And so hopefully the next time we do a podcast, we will be talking about Michigan having played a basketball game. In closing, I wonder if you think that'll be the case. Next time we're on, will there have been a Michigan basketball game that that had been played? I'm hopeful. And I've studied the schedule so many times. Um, I really hope that Michigan – can get back on the the practice court and play Illinois uh, next week. I, I I would anticipate that Michigan will be able to play seven games on their schedule before the Big Ten tournament starts. It looks like there's an open window on February 23rd, 24th, and 25th. I, I don't know if it's a great idea to try to jam two games in there, maybe on the 23rd and 25th, probably at Northwestern or at Penn State. Um, but if 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 Michigan loses a couple of games, I don't think it's devastating at all because they're going to have a substantial lead on Illinois and Iowa. I expect both of those teams to lose at least one more game. Um, and if that happens, then Michigan goes into the Big Ten tournament with you know 17 or 18 wins, you know three, maybe four losses, um, a two or three seed in the NCAA tournament. And, and, and I think that this is a team based on their, their a collection of high achievers, their 
They're they're a great chemistry team. They're extremely coachable. I, I can see them making a Final Four run, Sam. I really believe that. Okay. From your lips, Tim, we can hope. I know uh, Michigan basketball fans uh, listening are right there with me, keeping our fingers crossed that the guys will be back. Things are safe enough for them to be back on the floor and doing what they were doing so well before they went into the pause. That'll do it this week. Folks, if you like this podcast, be sure to rate and review it. If you've already done that, be sure to tell all your friends about it. They can find this podcast wherever they get their podcasts. Google, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes. Just search Michigan Insider Podcast, and up they'll come. Just grab the Michigan Basketball Insider and take a listen. And we'll be back next week on the Michigan Basketball Insider.